is the last message in our Adopt a Jack series, and today the title is, I mean, the title of the message is called Hitting the Jackpot, and the question that we're answering today is, what happens when our jack gets it? What happens when our jack gets it? And the answer to that is total and complete and utter surrender to all measures and all capacities in every aspect of our life. Now, raise your hand if you've surrendered every single aspect of your life to Christ. That's a tough one, isn't it? It's really hard. I, I know that in our minds and in our, in our wills that we have surrendered everything and we say, God, take it from us. You have my life. Everything that I have, I surrender to you. When God changed my life, I have no idea what the preacher was preaching that day. But what I do know is that I went to the altar. I bowed before my, my God, my Jesus, my Messiah. And I said, God, I don't have a lot, but whatever I do have, it is yours. Now, I meant every word of that, and I laid my life down before Christ, and I believe that he took it all. But how, how many of you realize, practically speaking, and in reality, that we've not actually physically surrendered everything in our lives? It's a daily battle, and I believe that, that this is the difference between justification and sanctification. I'm not going to get into that today, but justification is the fact that God has declared you righteous through the shed blood and the atoning sacrifice of the sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ. You had a debt. God paid it through the sacrifice of his son. He dropped the gavel and he said, not guilty through imparted righteousness. It was the righteousness of God that got you off the hook and set you in the heavenlies. Does this mean that you are not a sinner anymore? Does this mean you are not a sinner anymore? You see, we still struggle with this sin. There's the three Ps, and this is not on here, but real quick, when you're talking about sin, you're talking about we have to deal with the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. When we are justified through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the penalty is removed. Therefore, you go to heaven and not to hell and all that type of stuff. But we still deal with the power and the presence. As we have been justified in Christ, we are no longer under the penalty of sin, which is death. We have been washed clean and justified by the Lamb. Therefore, the penalty is gone. But we still have to deal with the power and the presence. Sanctification, as, as we draw near to Jesus Christ, we lay our lives down, we surrender our lives, but it is a daily battle to fully surrender our lives and to fully give him every aspect of our lives, whatever aspect that may be, and there are a lot of them, and we are sinful creatures, so we, we've been, the penalty's been dealt with, but the power of sin and the presence of sin is still there, so we have this war waging inside of us. Paul would describe it this way, he said, the things I want to do, I don't do, the things I don't want to do, I do, who shall set me free from this body of death? And so as we press into Jesus and as we learn about him and as we grow in him, we are sanctified, which means that the penalty is gone because of justification and the power is being taken away a little at a time because of sanctification, but the presence is still there altogether. That will be in the end when we are fully adopted by Jesus Christ, that the presence of sin will be absolutely removed and therefore there will be no more tears, there will be no more death, no more pain, no more heartache, no more of these these things, and as the Jesus Storybook Bible tells it, all sad things will become untrue. You see, Jesus Christ is moving us toward completion, toward fulfillment, toward wholeness. He is looking to, 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 to relieve you of the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin, removing sin altogether. How many of you, that sounds wonderful? 
that you wouldn't have to deal with sin anymore, whether it be in your life or in the life of those around you. We need to be moving in that direction. We need to be moving toward more complete surrender. And I understand why some people raised their hands and said, I have surrendered everything to Christ. I hope that you have. But in a realistic, in a physical way, I know that there are things still in your life that you need to lay down before God. And what happens as we minister to our jacks and as we, as we disciple them and as we evangelize them and as we pour out into them, what happens when they get it is surrender. They surrender to this king. They surrender to this master. They subject themselves to his rule, and they start working on the three Ps as well. Rather, Jesus starts working in them on the three Ps. I want to be looking at another three Ps today. That is another sermon, but we are talking about the effects of sin, and I wanted to show you that we are continually dealing with sin. We are continually surrendering our lives every single day. This is a continual process by which we subject ourselves to the king and to the Son of Man, the Son of God, and we become more like Him every single day. It is a daily battle that you, Christian, are responsible for. And we are responsible to go out and love our city, to go on mission next week. We talked about you being on mission this week and me being on mission this week as our mission team goes. And I want you to do that. I'm not just saying that. That wasn't just a feel-good motivational kicker to make you go, woohoo, Jesus. It is really physically my desire that you go into the community and actually open your mouth and have your lips go, as you tell people about Jesus Christ. Maybe you say, Pastor, I don't have a good mouth. <laughs> you know, what do you mean? Like you cuss all the time? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not really good at talking, Pastor. I'm not really good at talking to people. Okay, okay, granted. Moses wasn't either. He did part the Red Sea, though. Okay? All right? Maybe you're good at doing this. What I mean is, is that you can show people Jesus by your actions. You can be used by God in little ways. Maybe you got a little extra money this week and you want to help a family out with their groceries. Maybe you broke. Everybody said? The real broke people said. <laughs> Maybe you're broke. Maybe you're broke. Okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. How, how hard is it to make up a pie, to make up a cake, walking across the street to the neighbor and say, Hey, just wanted you to know I appreciate you. Jesus loves me, and I wanted to show you some love. Make a cake. Look, you can do whatever it is when you hear, and, and who knows how Jesus might call you, but he's calling you, I promise you that. We need to be on mission this week. Now, next week, we have the Mission to Landrum coming up, a week of missions, and we're, put that slide up, will you? We've got the week of missions coming up, and what we want you to do is get involved with us in our city. And we're going to have missions every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday. I, I hear you. Six days of mission coming up. Your pastors will be leading the way. Monday, we're going to give back to our police, fire, and rescue workers. Uh, Tuesday, we're going to love on our school employees. Wednesday, hands-on work in the community. Thursday, downtown businesses and medical office appreciation. Friday, community acts of kindness and VBS. Saturday, VBS handout school supplies. How many of you would love to get started? You just don't know where to start. So all of you know where to start? <laughs> all right, Heather, raise your hand up real high. There she is. It's been a little. All right. Talk to my wife. That's my wife. She's gorgeous. Talk to her and let her know that you would like to help. She will plug you in. How many of you have, ha have two hands in here? How many of you ha have, have breath in your lungs? How many of you love Jesus? 
then you should go and talk to her and let everybody in this room go out on mission next week, this week too, but next week in a formal way, and let's move across our city in, lo in a loving wave. Is, can we do that? Can we do that in here? We will show the love of Jesus together. Your pastors will show the way. We will be the example. We'll set the example. We're going to work and get ourselves dirty too. Okay, now, so what happens when your jack gets it is total and complete surrender. I want to, I, I had this, I, God changed this message on me last night at 1230, and that's no joke. And, you know, while that makes me a nervous wreck, and I was about in tears last night, and I was slamming my head on the desk and wondering, why me, oh God? God gave me a, a message to you today, and I typed it out, and, and uh, it looks good on paper. I pray that it comes across, but I want to, by show of hands, this is just really just organizational here. How many of you like it when we print out the notes so you can have them in your hand? Hands up really high because I don't want to waste paper. Really high when you like to grab the notes. What I'm going to start doing is I'm going to start putting this on, on this type of format right here, and I will print out some of these notes. Raise your hands if you don't really care. That's just mean. <laughs> yeah. I will print out about 100 of these, 125, and I, I just don't want to waste paper. I don't want to... Uh, Spend the church's money uselessly, but if you like those, I'll print them out. I didn't this time because I didn't know how many would be wasted. So all of these notes will be on the screen. You can write fast. We will put this on the website when the sermon goes up on the website, so you can grab that. You can download it if you'd like, print it off if you'd like to have it. This is really good stuff. I'm not going to go uh, through this every single part of it because we don't have time to do that, but I will uh, hit and highlight some of these. I believe that today you've got a good word in the store for you. Not because it's mine, I promise you that. This was made from 1230 to 4 o'clock this morning when I went to bed finally kicking and screaming. Let us pray over the word of God as we lay it down for our king. Jesus, I pray that you would do what you do. And uh, I'm a little nervous for some reason. I'm pacing. But God, I know that you are going to come through, that you will show yourself to be the true king. Uh, we already know that you are. But what I mean, God, is that you would show up in force, that you would captivate our hearts, that you would overrun our desires, that you would, that you would break the bonds that enslave us, God, those that we have went back to, those that we have never given over to you in the first place. God, I pray that you, would, that you would destroy sin in our lives, that you would grant us repentance, that you would help us to be a praying people because I'm afraid that we're not. I pray, God, that you would make us a people who are in love with your word so that we would be strong, strong, strong in the word so that we could be effective in the kingdom. God, help us to be more active in reading our Bibles and being on our knees. Help us to be more loving to our community. Help us to overwhelm the enemy with love, to overwhelm the enemy with the words of God. Please help us today. Make us more aware of where we are and who we are and where we are to go in Jesus' name. Amen. So what happens if my Jack gets it? If your Jack gets it, then he will be transformed and set free. John 2, 15 through 17 gives us three, the three major categories of sin that have plagued man from the beginning until now. They are the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. We default to these for passion, possession, and position. If your desire is to be transformed and free, then you must be transformed in these three areas. Today, we are going 
to look at, and you say, well, what does that have to do with my jack? I'll show you today. Today we're going to be looking at these three major categories of sin that have plagued man from the very beginning, and they are the lust of the flesh, or the desires of the flesh, the desires of the lust of the eyes, and then the pride of life, okay? We can look at them in these three ways to make it a little bit easier, our passions, our possessions, and our position, Okay? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You can look at it this way too. What makes you feel good? Your passion. What makes you feel good? What do you just want? You crave it. The lust of the flesh. What makes you feel good? The passions, okay? And then what do, what do you want? What do you desire to hold in your hand? What is it that you work for? What is it that you want to possess? You know, what is it that, that you need to have in your hand because you've seen it and, and you want it, you desire it, so you take it in? And then thirdly, the pride of life, your position, who do you have to be in order to be okay? Where do you have to be in life? What type of position? How much power do you need? What type of influence do you need? How, how much do people need to subject themselves to you in order for you to feel worth and value and identity? These are our three main struggles, and every sin in your life can be categorized or they fall into one of these three categories. Every single time, P passion, possession, or position. You can say it this way, sex, salary, or status. What feels good, what do you have, and who are you? Sex, salary, and status. Every advertisement that you see is built on these three things, and you know it to be true. They're either selling it by sex telling you that this is going to feel good, you got to have this. Without it, you're just going to feel horrible. you got to have this. you got to look this way. you got to do this. Or this money. Oh, don't you think that you need one of these? Don't you, don't you think that this would make you, make you more prominent? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be wonderful? Or it's by power. Anybody that's anybody has one of these. Let's look at these three categories because this is the way that your jack will be set free. And if your jack gets it, then he will be set free. Everything about these three things will be transformed. Passion, possession, and position. So let's look at these. Let's break down. First of all, I want to give you a little bit of context into these three things. I want to reread Luke chapter 5 and show you why that I feel as if God led us here in this particular place. We're looking at verse 11, but I want to read through it real quickly. Luke 5, 1 through 11, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. They were done for the day. They wanted to go home. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And listen to this. This is our key verse for the day and the last of our series. Verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. They left 
everything and followed him. You see, Peter here is struggling with the same sins that we have struggled with from day one. From day one. And let me show you, when I say day one, I mean day one. Listen here, number one, the, the battle is not new. The battle is not new. You see, this lie has been told for millennia, for millennia, that the desires of your flesh can be satisfied by this world and that sin is okay as long as it feels good. This is a desire that we want to believe and a lie that we often tell ourselves, but in the end, we will pay for the sin. You see, we are aware of this sin. We know that it's wrong, but you and I both know that we want to believe it, and we often lie to ourselves so that what? So that we can feel good, so that we can have what we want, and we deny Christ, and oftentimes, in the back of our mind, we're saying, but he's a forgiving God. All the while we've denied him as God, we have said, I will not surrender to you. I will be my God, and I will have my way. You see, Adam and Eve struggled with the same sin. Adam and Eve struggled with the same sin in the Garden of Eden. After being lied to and tempted by Satan, the scripture reads, now listen to what I told you. Remember, passion, possession, and position. Sex, salary, and status. Listen to what it says. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, what was pleasurable, what was desirable, what tasted good, when she had passion for it, in other words, and that it was a delight to the eyes, Remember what 1 John chapter 2 says, the desires of the eyes, the lust of the eyes. When she saw it, and she had to have it, possession. So she saw that she was passionate about it. She saw it was good for food, lust of the flesh. She wanted to, she wanted to taste it. She wanted, she wanted to feel good. Then she saw that it was a delight to the eyes. She saw it, and she had to have it, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took the fruit and ate Satan said, if you will eat this, then you will become like a God. There's the status. And God is revealing this to me last night, and I'm looking and going, oh, my God, I'll show you, I'll show you in just a second, that it even spilled over and over and over and over up till Jesus Christ, that we all see things that we, that we want, and we know that Jesus is there, and we don't want to do that, but we tell ourselves, it'll be okay, it'll be okay, it'll be okay. And even if we're Christian, even if you will go to heaven, people say, well, I, I, I'll repent, Jesus forgive me, I'll go to heaven. Yeah, but right here, right now, you're missing out on the King of Kings. And I don't know, I don't know that at this present moment that you can declare yourself a son of God if you are trading him for your sin we must wake up I believe that once you're saved you're always saved but if you love sin more than Jesus I would ask you are you saved he is to be and is forevermore the most desirable thing that we can have the only reason we fall away is because we take our eyes off and we misunderstand who Jesus is you see this this is actually continuing on and, 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 and Adam and Eve are surrounded by these temptations and, and these, these things are coming out and they are, they are longing for these things, the passion, the possession, and the position. We see it on up into Jesus Christ's day when he was tempted in the desert. 
Now, that's a long passage, so I'm not going to read it all. But when Jesus Christ was tempted in the desert, it says Jesus was tempted in the same way. Satan's first attempt was to entice him with the pleasures of food. Do you remember? He had fasted for 40 days. And what does Satan say? Command these stones to turn into bread. He was extremely hungry. He was very hungry. And he's seeing this bread, and he's thinking, oh, I want that. That would feel so good. He was tempted in every way, the Bible says, yet he did not sin. So we know that he was looking at that bread going, "Mm." that looks so good. Actually, he was looking at a rock. (laughs) He was hungry enough to look at a rock going, I break my teeth off on that. It was, it was, he was enticing him with the pleasure, the passion. Satan's first attempt was to entice him with the pleasures of food. Then with the possession of all the kingdoms. Remember right after that, he took him up on, the, on, on, the, on a high place and he showed him all the kingdoms. And he says, if you bow down to me, I will give you all of this. The possessions. The possessions. I will give you all of this. You can have it all. So he looked with his eyes, the desires of the eyes. He looked with his eyes over all the kingdoms. And then he took him to another high place. And what did he do? And finally with the power that God had granted him. You remember when when Satan took him to the higher place and he said, throw yourself off. Throw yourself off of here for God has commanded that not a bone in your body would be broken, that angels would would come and grab you because you're so important and lift you up and you would not strike your heel and you, they would know that you are God. So he enticed him with the gift that had already been granted to him, but he enticed him to take his power, his position, his status in a way that God had not called him to do it. It was not his hour. So Jesus Christ even struggled with this passion, possession, and this position. I want to show you. I want to start right here in the scriptures. And I want to show you. First of all, let's set that foundation with 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 verses 15 through 17 enlightens us. And listen, This may not be a sermon like I normally preach, but I want you to get some good practical information today because I'm telling you right now that a war is a brewing. And that I am telling you that God, do you hear me? Shake your head if you hear me. That God is about to do something up in here. God is about to break loose. He's going to take the top off. And he is going to do work in our cities. Not just through the well, but through other churches. And what I'm telling you, what God has told me, is that we must be ready. If you are not ready, you will get run over. We need to be ready. These three things you must stay conscious about and you must guard your heart and you must take action against these sinful desires. 1 John chapter 2, listen closely and take notes. John writes, do not love the world or the things in the world. This is a command. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anybody, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Did you hear what I just said? That is the word of God. 
do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, listen to this, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with, along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Whoever loves the world, the Father is not in him. Church, we have become so inoculated or calloused to our culture that we somehow, somehow, myself included, justify our sins in the name of normalness. In the name of, of, of common life, of cultural expectancy we we think that everybody else is doing it so it's okay i know the bible says that but but it's okay we serve a loving and forgiving god we must be different we must be different we must be in the world but not of the world am i seeking christ and killing sin Am I waging war on my sin? Am I making sure that I sacrifice my time and get into the Word of God every single day? Not so that I can say I did it, but so that I can become a strong warrior for the king. Is he my king? Are you strong in the faith? Are you, are you experienced with the sword of the Spirit? Do you care? Do I care? You see, he says, you must guard these three things. It has been a battle from the very beginning, and Satan has no new tools. He will come at you in various ways. He will entice you in various ways, but inevitably, it will be these three things. What you desire, what feels good, what you want to possess, and who you think you have to be. Some of us work really hard to get lots of money. Some of us work really hard to look really good. Some of us do a million other things. The first one I want to look at is passion. Passion. What is your Jack's passion? And the question is, what happens if my Jack gets it? What happens if he gets it? How do I know if he gets it? We look at our Jack and we say, what is he passionate about? What is, where is his passion? What is his passion? What gets him going? Is it Jesus Christ or something else? And if we are doing effective ministry and discipling, then what we are doing is showing them that Jesus Christ is the most desirable thing that has ever been known to man. He is your greatest desire. He is all people's greatest desire, whether they realize it or not. He is the fulfillment of what pleasure was intended to be. You see, pleasure's not bad. We, a lot of times, throw the baby out with the bathwater, and we condemn all sex, and we condemn all joy. We condemn all hobbies, and we want to live in the hills as a monk or a nun, you know, and never get married. Or a priest and never get married, and, and we say, we've got we've to do away with all of that. Well, that's not true. God made pleasure as well. God made pleasure as well. But it's how you enjoy that pleasure and where you go to get that pleasure that will decide whether or not it's beneficial or destructive in you. 
What is, your, what is your Jack's passion and then where is your passion? Where is your Jack's passion and where is yours? You see, you can't lead someone to a place that you are not at. Where is your passion? Are you passionate about Jesus? Do you long for him? Do you love him? Do I? And I told you before I ever got started today, before I ever started the, the message, that this, this hit me right between the eyes. And I'll tell you right now. As a church leader, it is so easy for me to get caught up in doing good stuff and doing all of these other things that I absolutely lose my way. Is that okay for me to, to admit in here? Is this, a, is this a place where it's okay to not be okay? I'm going to tell you right now, I'm a human being. And sometimes I get so focused on things that I think are important, I lose sight of what's the most important. And you know what I find? That it starts to wreck my life. It wrecks my conscience. It wrecks my time. You know what I found is that if I'm not stewarding my time and I'm not laying it out and making myself do what I know I should do, then you know what I find myself doing? Absolutely nothing. Wasting my life away sitting in front of a TV screen that is gobbling up every part of life. Sickening. I'll tell you right now I need to repent in this area. And I do love Jesus, I love him with everything that I have, but I know that I need to love him more and I need to show it more. I know that I need to be there, but I also know that, that, that apart from him doing that inside of me, I can't do it. Because I, I, don't, I don't know where to go, it's not, it's not found in me. I need him to come and show me the way. I need him to come and stand in front of me and wave his arms and protect me from going astray. Because left to our own devices, we will stray every time. And without him saying, here I am, here I am, here I am, we look away to find another I am. But there is no other, so all we find are idols. In Luke 5, 2, we see the men washing their nets and putting away tools. And in verse 5, we hear the desire to call it a night as he says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. His flesh is wanting to go home to hang it up, to quit. You see, Peter was the jack here. And up until this moment, we do see Peter interacting with Jesus and Jesus is calling Peter. But up until this moment, there's not been another, uh, there's not been another place in the scriptures where it's recorded that Peter said, I'm leaving everything. I'm with you. I'm putting it all to the side. I'm coming. Nothing can stop me. I have seen and I believe and I'm headed that way. You see, Peter, who is the jack in this situation, is being led by Jesus to throw everything down. But Jesus never tells him to throw everything down. What does he do? He attacks these three things, and what he shows him is that there's a better possession, there's a better passion, and there's a better position. You see, Peter at this time, he's wanting, he, what, what feels good to him, the passion of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, and, and looking and just kind of pulling some things out of this text, and we'll go elsewhere, it's looking like Peter, he, he's done for the day, he's tired, he wants to go home, he wants to just hang it up, he's ready to call it quits. He's already washing his nets. He's already done his work for the day. And now here comes Jesus calling him to something greater, but he can't see the greater for the desires of his flesh that's right in front of his face. You see, you have desires of the flesh that stand in front of your face all day long, hiding what's truly valuable. 
And I have people come to me all day long and say, Brandon, but I, I got these things I got to tend to. I got these sins in my life that, that I can't just put them away right now. I got to wait on this. I got to wait on that. I got to wait on this. I got to wait on that. You ain't got to wait on nothing. You wait on it because you like it. You own that if you're going to do it. You sin because you like to sin. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Nobody twisting your arm and nobody twisting mine. I'm up here whining about the TV taking over my life, but I'm the one sitting on my big booty on the couch, not moving my eyes away. You say, stop, stop. You can't. You can't. What do you need? You need Jesus Christ to become more desirable is what you need. You need a divine intervention is what you need. You need God to do a transforming work in your life on these three things. You see where this is going. You see, he, he wanted to go home. He wanted to call it quits. His flesh was crying out, no, 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 I don't want to do this. But on your word, you see, there's the relationship again. And you see, your relationship will start to call people out of sin and in the light. You think that you're uh, unuseful? You think that you have no impact? Yeah, you do. As you speak to someone and as you show them a better way, you are drawing them through the power of the Holy Spirit out of darkness and in the light. You are an agent of change and you are showing them that there is a better passion. You remember I told you, I told you that Stephen, as he gazed into the heavens and he, and he saw Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father, it says his face shone like the face of an angel. And as people look at you gazing into the heavens, are you gazing into the heavens? Is he your passion? Are you desiring him? Are you in love with him? We hear people talking about, I'm in love. You know, 14-year-old girls talking about, I'm in love. You was in love with somebody else last week. Come on. You know, you ain't in love. You don't even know what love is. So silly. Are you in love with Jesus? Do you, do you shine for him? You know, you ever, you ever, you ever come into the room, and I, and I do this with Z, you know, and I, I use my kids a lot, I know, but I come into the room, and, and he sees me. I've been out of town for a long time, and he sees me. His face lights up, Daddy. Oh, man, that makes me. It shines back off of me. Do you shine for Jesus? Do they look at you? You see, you can be a, an effective agent of change. Mission trip, guys. Listen. You want to be impactful for Jesus this week? You can go over and get your hands dirty, and it'll be awesome, okay? You can feed babies. We went to Raleigh one time, and they was the biggest baby I've ever seen in my entire life. I don't even know where they found diapers. Am I lying? What do we call him? Big old baby? I call my son Asher big old baby because he's big, but he was a midget baby compared to this baby. He was a big old baby. I'm talking about this. I'm not even lying. You can go over there and you can change big old diapers. You can feed big old babies. You can do a lot of things. But, but young people, hear me well. Hear me now. If you are not on fire for Jesus and radiating the flames that are ignited by the power of the Holy Spirit, and if you are not reflecting the glory of God, it will go away in just a little while. But if you will press into Jesus Christ every day, and let him be a passion inside of you that radiates out, then you will feed big babies. And you will get your hands dirty. Might accidentally stick your finger in poop. All in the name of Jesus. But people will be watching. 
and they will see the glory of God radiating off of you and it will be an eternal change. You believe that, church? The same thing is true in your life with the people that you work with, with the people that you do life with. Our possessions must change. You see, Genesis, five, Genesis 6, 5 through 6, I want to show you this. Because our passions are all messed up, we are just in, in, in such trouble without Jesus Christ coming and showing us the way. Genesis 6, 5 and 6 reveals, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Our desires often lead us to devastation. Let me tell you right now, church, if you think that you can let down your guard, you know, how many of you had a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Sunday two Sundays ago when the, when the youth led? Wasn't it good? It was good to put the power of the Holy Spirit were moving. And, and really, by show of hands, how many of you went out of here that day just pumped for Jesus? Wasn't it good? You see, oftentimes we can think, all right, I got it now. I got it now. I'm good. And we go out into the world, and we don't, we don't continually reinforce Reinforce, reinforce, remind, 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 continually gain life, continually press in, continually become more righteous every day, continually become more disciplined in our spiritual devotion, continually reach for Jesus. You know, when you were at Seesaw, you, every day of the week you went and you did personal devos and you worshiped with God and you came back on fire. How many of you, be honest, how many of you have fallen away from everyday devotions like that? It's okay, I, I have too. Okay, you see, the, you see the honesty. I love it. I love it. Now, how many of you are not on fire for Jesus quite like you were when you came back? And that's, that's okay. That's honest. What's the difference? What's the difference? Huh? Anybody? What's the difference? Motivation? Huh? Focus, motivation, self-effort, environment. You think righteousness just happens automatically? Never does. Never does. Righteousness does not just automatically happen. You have to work. You know, we find that in nature, too. The law of thermodynamics is that you must do work in order to produce energy. Energy must, you got to have it to create. It's got to, it's got to come out. You can't have anything positive without work being done. Now, decay, on the other hand, is exactly the opposite. Sin, do you have to really try hard to sin? Huh? You know? You're like, how did this happen? All of a sudden, you're up to your eyeballs in sin, and you didn't even mean to. Have you ever just accidentally found yourself up to, up to your eyeballs in righteousness? Every day, young people, go ahead and develop a habit right now. Old people, too. Develop a habit right now. And we're not legalistic, but we do desire spiritual discipline so that you get into the Word every single day. Let me tell you right now, I preached a message in here that said, you want it to be hard, you want it to, be hard to sin? You want, you want sin to flee from you? You want, you want it to be difficult to fall into sin? You know what you do? You pursue righteousness every single day. You get into the word. And what happens is, as you build this house, as you build this mansion on the rock that is Jesus Christ, the, the Bible says it like this, the rains came, the winds blew, and the floods rose and pounded on that house, but it did not fall because it was built on the rock. 
Build your house on the rock. Every day seek Jesus. Seek him every single day. The Bible says that our hearts are full of envy and full of lust, that our thoughts and desires are only evil all the time continually, and it broke the heart of God. We must be continually every single day seeking and seeking. Jeremiah 17, 9 reads, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? You see, left to our own devices, our heart will run away with our life and leave us naked and afraid. It'll leave us naked and afraid. You must lead your heart every single day and the passions of your life must change, must change. The on, God is the only thing, the only one that can change this in your life or in you. You see, in order to really come to Christ, in order for your Jack to be able to get it, to be able to see and to be transformed, he must see Jesus. He must be renewed by God. The Bible says that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide all the way down between the soul and everything else, going all the way down. And in Ezekiel 36, 26, it says, I will remove your heart of stone and I will, I will put in you, I will place in you the Holy Spirit, I will place in you a new heart. I will remove the heart of stone and I'll replace it with a new heart. You see, the word of God is the scalpel by which God makes the cut. He peels back all of the flesh. He reaches in and he does heart surgery. He takes out the heart of stone and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. You need God in your life to change your passions and your desires. The second thing is, is that we must ask ourselves, we must ask ourselves, what is your Jack's greatest possession and what is yours? What is your Jack's greatest possession and what is yours? Look here at the scripture. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't specifically say what Peter's greatest possession is, but I believe that we can find it in the text with a little bit of insight. Listen to what he says. He says, now this is Luke. Now, Luke was a historian. He went and he got eyewitness accounts. He got all the details. This is the only gospel that gives the details of them leaving everything behind and following Jesus. This will suggest that Luke is highlighting the importance of all these material possessions. You see, in this book alone, and there's other recordings of this event, but in this book alone do we see Luke recording that after they got back, they left everything. They brought the boats back to the shore. They left everything and followed him. Now, you talk about complete surrender. I'm not telling you to quit your job tomorrow. That'd be stupid, okay? I'm not telling you to quit your job tomorrow, but what I'm telling you is if God calls you to quit your job tomorrow, you quit your job. You do what God is calling you to do. Now, I don't think God is calling everybody in here to quit their job, but I, I know that God is calling everyone in here to lay down that which is most important at his feet and for him to become the greatest possession that you've ever had, the greatest possession bar none that you ever have. You see, this was the greatest sacrifice that Peter and the others could have made because their identity and very life was wrapped up in these boats and tools. It was wrapped up in these boats and tools. So many times, the things that are most important to us and that we hold on to the most are the things that we've worked for and that we can hold in our hands. And so often we refuse, we refuse to go with God and we refuse to give our lives to God because we cannot let go of the thing that we're holding on to the tightest. And that's sinful. You want to give 
God your life, you want to be effective for the kingdom, then you must let go. You must let go. You've got to lay it down. Mark 8, 36 says this. It says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Philippians 3, 7 through 8 says, but whenever... But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This type of thinking can only come by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, 1 Corinthians 1.18 and 2.14 tells us that this is foolishness to the world. Foolishness to the world. You see, how many people in the room are saying, I would go with Christ, but I can't let go of these things. I would go with Christ. And and, and listen, I know some of us are saying, I'm with Christ, and I'm not letting go of these things. No. No. Let us go back and read 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. Those that love the world do not love God. And he is not in them. You can't say that this is most important to me, but I, but I am with Jesus. You can't say this is my master, but I love Jesus and he's my master. The Bible says we cannot serve two masters. We must lay down our life and he must be our greatest possession. And the last is, what is your Jack's position in life and what is yours? And this is the last point I want to make, and this is how I want to draw everything together because the bottom line is is that as a people in general, we struggle so much with passion, possession, and position. But oftentimes, these three work together, and we, we desire to have these things because it gives us a better position. And so oftentimes, in order for your jack, you need to be patient with your jack, and you need to be violent with your own heart. You need to be patient with your jack, but violent with your own heart. Do not let your heart lead you. If you do, you will experience destruction every time. You see, Peter seemed to be the leader of this crew of fishermen, but that is not for certain. What is certain is that he had a major issue with not being in charge, as we see him on many occasions, even questioning Christ. Several, several times. You remember in the garden when the soldiers came to get Jesus and Jesus is like, let them do what they came to do. And Jesus and Peter, who's standing beside his master, supposed to be his master, Jesus looks at the commander, the master, and says, no, pulls out his sword and chops the guy's ear off. And Jesus, my paraphrase, is like, you idiot. Picks the guy's ear up off the ground and puts it back on. That really happened. Look at your neighbor and say, that really happened. How many times are we whacking people's ears off all the time? Huh? How many times are we beating people to death with the very word that we are not even living out ourselves? How many times are we condemning others and judging others and and telling them what they should be doing but we have not surrendered and subjected ourselves to the king. We're holding on to everything else, looking at Jesus saying, no. Time to tell Jesus yes and bow down. You remember at the, the washing of the feet, Jesus had washed all the disciples' feet, okay? He had done this work. 
he gets to Peter. Now, inevitably, Peter was down the line. He had already washed one disciple, two disciples, three disciples, four. Who knows how many he had done before he got to Peter. And he gets to Peter, and he looks at Peter, and he says, all right, time to wash your feet. Peter looks at him and says, do you wash my feet? Well, yeah, that's what I've been doing this entire time. And Peter looks at God and says, no, you will never wash my feet. You see, he had a problem with power. Think about Peter. Think about who he was. Think about, think about him who was the leader of this, this business, who, who had business partners, but obviously is stepping forward as the leader. And then all of a sudden, this man shows up and says, leave everything you've ever known and become my servant. Leave everything that you've ever known. Stop being a teacher to these other business partners and come be a student. Stop being great in your own eyes. Stop being wonderful in your own eyes. Stop thinking that you're the greatest thing since sliced bread and, and come and be my slave. Something had to happen. Something had to happen. And some of you say you love Jesus. Some of us say we love Jesus. But we stand toe-to-toe with him all the time and say, I'm not doing that. Are we surrendered? You see, Jeremiah 50, I love these verses right here. Listen to this right here. Talking about following your own heart. Jeremiah 50, 32 says, The proud one shall stumble and fall with none to raise him up, and I will kindle a fire in, the, in his cities, and it will devour all that is around him. Listen to Jeremiah 51, 17. Every man is stupid. Uh, hold on, I believe women can be tied up into that too, Okay. Let's say every person is stupid. Listen to what it says. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false, and there is no breath in them. You heard it from the word itself. You try to lead yourself. You try to figure this thing out. So many people, I hear them say, when I get this right, Brandon, when I get that right, Brandon, then I'll surrender my life. You know, basically your heart's telling you, listen, everybody listen. If you're waiting on something to change before you surrender to your life, basically you're pretty stupid because you're listening and being led by your heart, which is deceiving you, and you don't even know it. It is telling you, you need to straighten this out before you go. Let's get this right before you go. Let's make sure we've got this money in line before you go. Let's make sure we've got this job before you go. Let's make sure we've got this pleasures out of the way before you go because you know you'll have to stop doing all that stuff. Let's do this, let's do this, let's do this before we surrender. Your heart is leading you astray and it's going to kill you in the end. I don't know how I can say that any clearer. Please don't mistake yourself to be a Christian because you say you're a Christian. I don't say that because I judge you or don't like you. I say that because I love you and want the best for your life. You can go ahead and start playing. I'm about to wrap it. I'm going to read this verse to you, talking about the power and the God of your life. And I want to show you something about Jesus, and we'll call it a day. If you got your Bibles open, turn with me to John chapter 8. 
See, Peter had to give away everything. He was his own God. He was his own God. He, he paved his own way. He fed his own face. He had a thriving business. He wasn't overly sinful. He was a Jew, so he believed in the Old Testament God, Yahweh. He was a good guy. But when the time came, when the time came to lay it all down, he had a decision to make. Is Jesus Christ God and is he worthy to be followed and surrendered to? And is he worthy to be called master of your life? So that if he says lay it down, you lay it down. If you have sin in your life, we all have sin in our life. But if you have sin in your life that's habitual sin and you you look straight at the face of Jesus and you say I will not lay this down right now please please ask yourself is or can he be your master you will know if he has become the master of your jack by what your jack is passionate about what his greatest possession is and what his greatest position is John chapter 8, listen to what he says, speaking to some Jews who were very good people and had it all together seemingly. So he said to them again, starting in verse 21, so he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. This is the Bible, guys. I don't want you to die in your sin. I don't want you to, as the Bible says, stand before God and cry out, Lord, Lord, and Him look at you and say, depart from me, I, have, I never knew you. Even, even the, those that said, but we cast out demons. We did all of these wonderful, wonderful things. And He looks at him and says, I, I never knew you. Your heart's a liar and so is mine. We must challenge it every single day with the Word of God. I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? We said, get it. He said to them, you are from below I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. The ESV actually says, unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Some of you got your Bibles out, some of you got your smartphones out. That's not the actual literal translation. I went and looked. You see, they understood that Yahweh, the Jews understood that Yahweh was the God of all creation. He was the beginning. He was the end. And they were looking at this man saying, how could we submit to you? How could we bow down to you? How could we do that? We serve God alone. He was not their God. 
They were surrendered to another God. They were surrendered to a, a false God, a false idea. They didn't understand who Jesus Christ really was. Do you understand who Jesus Christ really is? Have you ever really gotten it? Have we ever really gotten it? Because if we've ever really gotten it, then we say, to hell with everything else. Everything else can go. Everything else can, can blow away in the wind. It's all rubbish. It's all nothing. It can be found in the depths and the pits of hell. I need God. If you've ever really met him, and now you struggle, I know you struggle. But if you've ever really met him, then you struggle. Because you hate your sin. And you despise your, the desires of your flesh and the desires of your eyes and the pride of your life. Jesus looks at them. The literal translation there, it says, Ego I me. There is no he. Ego I me means I am. Which was him telling the Jews that I am Yahweh. I am the God of all eternity. I am the one that created all of this. I want all of you once more, we're wrapping up, I want all of you once more to lift up your hands. Look at your hands. I want you to look at your hands. You see your fingers? You see the little lines in between your knuckles? I want you to move your hands like this. Do you know that Jesus Christ is making this happen right now? Do you know that that Jesus Christ is the one that put the skin on and makes the nails grow? Do you know that this God is the great I am? He is the beginning and the end. He is worthy of all surrender. And if you are not surrendered to Him, then you are surrendered to something. I plead with you today to surrender to Christ so that your Jack would have an opportunity to surrender to Christ. What happens when he gets it? His passion changes. Colossians 1.13 says that we have been transfer, transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his glorious light. Jesus looked at these Jews and said, you are from below, I am from above. You're of this world, I am not of this world. But he looks at the believer and he says, this is not your home. That it can be said of you too that you are not of this world. That you had been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the glorious light. Let us all stand to our feet and let me make this final run for you because let me tell you right now, if you've not heard me say anything else, please hear me say this. What I've told you today is absolutely impossible apart from Jesus Christ and the transforming work of the gospel. You see, He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the one. He is the one that transformed passion, possession, and position. You say, what do you mean, Brennan? To the degree that you understand this, to the degree that this becomes real in your life, you will not be able to surrender. You see, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, that's what he said. He laid down every pleasure known to man and bore the griefs and pains and sorrows, for we were his passion. 
You see, we were his passion so that he might be ours. He was homeless and poor. He died a murderous death on a horrible cross, naked and afraid to gain us as his possession. He was humiliated, spat upon, and became the scum of the earth so that we could share in the glory of his heavenly position. He gave up his passions because you were his passion. He gave up all possessions, emptying himself of every attribute of God, becoming as one of us so that he would gain you as a possession. And he came down out of heaven and into this earth so that we could reign with him and change our position. It's all Jesus. The question that we must ask is, is he worthy? Where's your passion? Where, really, ask, go home today and ask yourself, where's your passion? Open up your checkbook and see if it reflects that Jesus is your passion. What's your greatest possession? What's your greatest possession? Would you give Jesus up for money? Are you telling him no because of money? Are you telling him no because of pleasure? Are you telling him no because of, of, of things that you don't want to give up? Is he your greatest possession? And have you found your position in him? I'd rather be a doorkeeper at the entrance of God's house. At the house of the Lord and dwell in the... Well, in the tents of the wicked, I give it all away. As we open up the altar today, I want you to ask yourself, "Where is your jack?" And we must start praying. We've got to pray that God would change His passion, possession, and position. And then I want you to think about yourself: Where is your passion, possession, and position? Where are you today with Jesus Christ? Where am I? Is he king or is he not? This week, let's go into the world and let's lay down everything and literally, physically surrender more to him this week. There's been sins popping into everybody's heads that you're holding on to. I know it's that way because God is a convicting God. There's been things that are bouncing. Maybe it's that what you put your eyes on last week. Maybe it's what you did with your own body last week. Maybe it's where you spent all your time last week. Maybe it's how you spoke to your wife. Maybe it's how you spoke to your kids. Maybe it's the anger inside. Maybe it's, who knows? Would you lay that at the foot of the cross today? Would you surrender all? Now's your time. I'll be here begging God for repentance myself. Doing all I can in the war on this sin. Come, respond to God how he has led you. Let us worship.